Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning. Great to have you all here this morning. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to open up to Matthew chapter 5. We're in the Beatitudes. It's the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. We've already looked at a couple of them. We've already read that blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Do you really buy that? I mean, honestly, blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the earth? I'll tell you, Frederick Nietzsche certainly didn't buy it. He said, actually, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount were the most seductive lie in all of history. So he rephrased this Beatitude, and he said, no, it's not blessed are the meek. It's assert yourself, for it's the arrogant who will take over the earth. And we might not, as a nation in particular, be as forthright as Nietzsche was, but certainly I think we buy that, don't we? It's it's those in charge. It's... It's more the arrogant who really get their way. Um, We might think the meek get heaven, but we know who gets the earth. It's the assertive. It's the movers and the shakers. It's the type A's. It's the drivers, the choleric. Those are the ones who take over the earth. Um, I don't know if you're much of a baseball fan, but maybe you are familiar. If you're familiar with Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle, then you're familiar with Leo DeRocha. Leo DeRocha was one of the greatest managers in the history of baseball. And uh, he was known as having the most fierce personality in all of baseball. And actually, he had the nickname uh, The Lip or Lippy uh, because he was mouthing off all the time. And uh, he was a very aggressive individual, and he on his team, and he was well-known at the time uh, for overseeing the, managing the New York Giants. And he had a guy on his team called Mel Ott. And Mel Ott was one of the best players. I mean, he, 11 times in a row, he was um, an all-star, and he was the first National League player to ever hit 500 home runs. An incredible guy, played right field, but he had a real soft personality, and Leo DeRocha would get him all the time. He would say, he said, Mel, uh, his nick, Mel's nickname was Master Melvin, but he called him Mel, Mel, nice guys finish last. And uh, so that really is sort of the philosophy that we have bought as especially as a nation, nice guys finish last. It's, it's the assertive. We would agree with Nietzsche who says it's the assertive, it's the arrogant who really get their way and who really will take over the earth. Even if you go into Webster's Dictionary and you look up the definition of meek, yes, you'll see humble there, but next underneath that it'll say this. It'll say easily imposed upon, spineless, unassuming, deficient in courage. And so when we think of the word meek, uh, we think of the cowardly lion um, in The Wizard of Oz, or in Back to the Future, we would think of George McFly, or if you're a Rocky fan, you might think of Adrian, something like, something like that. Uh, and we even have expressions that sort of make fun of the term meek. Uh, we would use the expression, oh, that person is meek as a mouse. Sort of reminds me of the, of the one woman who confronted her husband because of, because of his passive behavior. And so she, she confronted him and she said, Look, are you a man or a mouse? Now squeak up. 
So what really biblically, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, what did he mean by that, blessed are the meek? So let's just look at it biblically and try to def define this term. Praus is the word in Greek. Uh, what is this word and what does really it, it mean? And we're going to see that it really means, uh, it, certainly there's control, there's balance there. Uh, a meek person can get angry, but they tend to get angry at the right things, to get angry at the right time in the right way. And uh, to the meek, what matters more to the meek is really things like injustice in the world, not personal insults. So that would define sort of a meek person. If you were to look, I've got on my shelves in my office is this um, lexicon. It's called Multan and Milligan. And what it does, it takes the Greek words that are used in the New Testament, and then it, it opens it up and it uses examples throughout the culture of the day to show how that word was used uh, culturally. It's, it's called the vocabulary of the Greek New Testament. And so one example of, that it gave of, of praus, of, of meekness, was this. There was a, a soldier in the Peloponnesian War, and uh, he was out at battle, and he was engaged to be married. And so he wrote a letter to his fiancée, and he had uh, purchased a present for her. It was a white stallion, and he was going to bring this present home to her to give her uh, at their wedding. And he described this white stallion to his fiancée, and he used these words, quote, He is the most magnificent animal I have ever seen. He responds obediently to the slightest command. He allows his master to direct him to his full potential. And then he wrote this. He said, He is a meek horse. Now, that's the biblical definition. So what we're going to see in the biblical definition of meekness, those who inherit the earth, it's somebody where there's tremendous power, but just like the stallion, it's power, but it's power under control. In other words, it's, it's meekness is somebody who is submissive to an authority that's far greater than themselves. So whenever you look at the word meekness, and you think about easily imposed upon, spineless, deficient of courage, uh, don't think of weakness because that's not the biblical definition of the word meek. So I'm going to give you some biblical examples of how uh, meekness is portrayed. The first example would be Moses himself in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Now think about that. More than anybody else on the earth, Moses was a meek man. How, how strange to define somebody like Moses as meek. When you think he was the very one who, who started a revolution against the Egyptians. And even in the process, he, he, he slayed a guy. And you would call that meek? Do you think Pharaoh would call Moses a meek person? No, I'm not sure about that. And you think that even after he escaped and, and destroyed the armies of, of, of Egypt, then he has to lead two and a half million rebellious people in the desert. And yet the Bible says he's the meekest man who ever lived in all of the earth. And the only reason he didn't get into the promised land is because he, he smashed a rock rather than touching a rock. And yet the Bible says he was the meekest person who ever lived on earth. But he was most of his life, few exceptions, power, but power under control, submissive to an authority, just like that white stallion, submissive to an authority that was greater than himself. Let's look at another example, the example of David. Many of David's greatest victories weren't 
um, with his hands, but were with his heart. When we come to 2 Samuel 16, we find out that David's son Absalom took over the kingdom, forced his father into the wilderness. He's going through the wilderness, and uh, there was one of Saul's men, Shammai, uh, one of Saul's men began to curse him. The Bible says that he continually cursed him and threw stones at him. Now, David was there sort of down below this, this precipice, uh, getting pelted with cursing and curses and stones, and he was surrounded by his mighty men. And so one of his nephews, one of his nep nephews, Abishai, uh, turns to David and he says, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and lop off his head. And then David, the, here's the, the picture of meekness. David said this. David said in chapter 16, verse 11, Leave him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. That is power under control. That is submission to an authority that's greater than himself. Jesus himself called himself meek. I am meek and lowly of heart. Do you think any money changer would ever call Jesus spineless, deficient of courage? Not at all. But yes, power under control, and also um, he was... Uh, submissive to someone greater than himself. He was submissive to the Father. So when the Greeks used that term praus, uh, they also used that word to describe strong winds, powerful winds, not destructive winds, not winds out of control, but winds that were in control. So they would not use the word meek to describe winds that were a hurricane or a tornado, only very strong winds that could, could pro propel a ship across the ocean. They would also use the term meek to describe a, a pharmaceutical, a drug that would do its anticipated work, that it could uh, reduce a fever. It was, it was called meek. It was power, but under control. It would do it as an effective job without uh, other complications. I remember the story. I love the story uh, of, of power under control. There's a, a truck stop going into uh, Los Angeles. It's on the south side of Interstate 10. It's a, it's a Petro truck stop, second largest in the United States. Uh, and it houses the, the, the iron skillet within this place. And it's known for all the trucks going in and out of Los Angeles and also the Hells Angels would show up there as well. So this one particular time the Hells Angels showed up, the truckers were all there, and uh, the leader of the Hells Angels uh, took one of the truck drivers, he went up, took his plate of spaghetti and dumped it on top of his head. And of course, everybody waited to see what was going to happen. Was there going to be some big, some big ruckus? What, what was going to happen? Well, the truck driver, he just, he gets up out of his seat. He walks over to the cashier. He pays his bill and he walks out the door. Well, the the leader of the Hells Angels, I mean, he, he just, he goes, ah, not much of a man, is he? And so the manager of the Iron Skillet at Petro Truck Stop says, well, he's not much of a truck driver either. He just ran over 12 choppers. <laughs> so happy are those that don't overreact to people. So why is it important to my life? Why is meekness important to my life? Why should we as Christians even study it? Why should we as Christians uh, live it, try and live it? 
So uh, one of my favorite authors, one of the commentaries that on the Sermon on the Mount is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He gives four reasons. I'm just going to summarize them real quick. That are, There are good reasons to study it. Again, one of the reasons isn't to, so that you will become a Christian. Not, not at all. Not, not in the slightest. This then is for... Not, we're, we're not earning salvation. Jesus died for that. But he died for us so that we might be able to live out these things, that we might live the Beatitudes, live out the Sermon on the Mount. Titus 2, 11 to 14, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. So that comes first. Grace, salvation for all people. Why? Now, what's the result to that? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions to live a self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness. That's the salvation part. Why? To purify us for himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Second reason, he says, is meekness by itself would be impossible without the Holy Spirit. It would be impossible in our own flesh. In our own flesh, we're just like Nietzsche. Hey, if you want to inherit the earth, you've got to be assertive. You've got to be aggressive. Because why? Leo DeRosha, nice guys finish last. So this drives us to the gospel. It drives us to the point that we are crushed to the ground. And so we need to turn to Christ. Thirdly, the more we live out and practice the Beatitudes, the more, because each of these Beatitudes are accompanied with a blessing. We get to experience the blessings of the Beatitudes as well. We see these as we, as we go on. Fourthly, the more we live out the Beatitudes, and this is beautiful, the more the world will see the impact of the gospel on our lives. What does it mean to look like Jesus? What, what does it mean to be a Christian? And the impact then is evangelism. I'm going to read a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said this, Very few of us need more evangelistic outreaches or more outreach events, but actually living the Christian life as Jesus intended us to live can quite possibly be the single best means of evangelism that we have. And you think, wow, well, that's, that's a wonderful incentive. So if, if just if living out the gospel and then giving a hope, the hope for what's within us, that's within us, uh, the words of the gospel, the explanation of the gospel, those two together are extremely powerful. So the question is, okay, then if that's so powerful, Jeff, can you give me some examples? How can I live a meek life? What practically does it look like? So I'm going to give you five areas uh, that... It, that meekness can express itself extremely practically in all of our lives, in all five areas, every person here, it can impact. So how should it manifest? When someone serves you, when you're in the position of, of being served by someone, meekness is understanding and not demanding. Philippians 2, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but you look to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which was in Christ Jesus. So how do you treat people when they serve you? Are you demanding or are you understanding? 
I had this, this opportunity, it was two days ago, at, at Menards. Uh, I had to just pick up one thing. I looked for the line that was the shortest. I thought, oh, here's the shortest line. There's only one person there checking out. So I jumped in that line, and, I th and um, all of a sudden I realized, oh, they're stuck. The person had to check that individual's account. They couldn't find that account information, the person he was working for. And so I'm thinking, Lord, help me, because right now here's somebody serving me. I need to be understanding and not impatient and demanding. So I was just praying the whole time. And it took quite a while because the other lines had already gone through. And I'm just, Lord Jesus, please give me patience. And then the lady that was there turned to me after and she said, thank you so much for your patience. She said, this is my very first day working at Menards. And it sure is nice having somebody patient like you. So I thought, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> uh, so what is your reputation? Or a number of you here you have people that work under you or for you. Other people report to you. What, how would they define you? Would they say, boy, this person is so demanding, so devoid of understanding? Or would they say of you, you know what? This, my boss really understands my position. They understand my circumstances. They know what I'm going through. And their expectations for me are so reasonable. That's me. That is what meekness is. Secondly, how about when somebody disappoints you? All of us will be disappointed. Just be gentle, not judgmental. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome them. That's the person who doesn't meet your expectations. You know, they, they're weak in faith. They, they don't come up to your level. They haven't attained your level of perfection. They haven't reached your standards. They're weak in faith. Welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. So how do you react when somebody else messes up their life? Do you tell them, well, I told you so. I, I told you that would happen to you. You know, good for you. Only a fool would have done something like that. I saw it coming the whole time. I tried to tell you. How do you do that when somebody screws up their life? Well, let me tell you what Galatians 6 says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgress transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a, listen, in a spirit of condemnation, judgmentalism? No, you be gentle, not judgmental. You restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. You, you, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's being gentle, not judgmental when somebody disappoints you. The one thing I think that angered Jesus more than anything else were self-righteous religious people who were constantly in the position of judging and being critical of others. That ticked off Jesus more than anything else. You know, the fact of the matter is I've never killed a man but I have gloated over some obituaries. And that's not meekness. Thirdly, another example. How about when somebody disagrees with you? Do you think anybody will ever disagree with you? Absolutely they will. So how does meekness express itself when somebody disagrees with you? And that is, you be tender. Don't surrender, but you can be tender in the disagreement. You're never going to please everybody in your life. Just about the time you get crowd A satisfied, crowd B doesn't like it. And then you try and please crowd B, then crowd C. 
gets upset. I'll tell you, the one position I would not want to have in a church is the worship director. It is a, you know, you, one group likes it, the next group doesn't. About the time you switch the music around, that, per, that group likes it, the next group done, you know. So um, it, it's tough. But so the response is you be tender, but don't surrender. I mean, if God has given you a calling and convictions to, to do it a certain way, you, you maintain those convictions, don't surrender, but you be tender in the way that you bring it about. In other words, it's, it doesn't mean, well, I'm not going to surrender, but I'm going to attack. No, it's not that. It's not attack and don't surrender. And it certainly isn't, well, I'll become a pacifist and I'll just surrender. I'll be tender, I'll be a pacifist, and just whatever, whatever you want, I'll just whatever anybody, whoever speaks the loudest, that's what I'm going to do. No, that's, that's not how you uh, deal with people who disagree with you. How do you handle that? There are three options to handle disagreeable people. That's the surrender part. You can, you, you can retreat in fear. That's just becoming a doormat. That's weakness. That's not meekness. That's weakness. It's not becoming a doormat. Okay, it's not just, it's not surrendering or retreating in fear. And it certainly is not, when somebody disagrees with you, it's not attacking them. It's not attacking in anger. That's, that's verbal overkill. That, that's, everything to this person is win-lose. When you're in a discussion, it's somebody wins, somebody loses, so I'm going to attack until I win. That is not meekness. You be tender without surrender. Proverbs 15.1 says, it's a soft answer that turns away wrath. Harsh words, that's, that's the verbal overkill, that's when you explode people, that's the win or lose proposition, that's when harsh words stir up anger. Or James 3 says, for where jealousy, selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, that's the word praus, that's the word for meek, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere. Do you see what James is saying? James is saying that a person with an argumentative attitude has an ego. It's really an ego problem. You see how the two connect? If you're an argumentative person where it's win-lose win, kind of a scenario, your problem is yourself. It's your ego. Because he says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, that's ego. Then all of these things take place. But Jesus says a person who is meek is going to be happy because they can be very tender. They, they don't have to surrender their position if they feel that's the position God's called them to, but they can be tender. So in other words, meekness is learning to disagree agreeably. It's learning to be able to walk hand in hand even without seeing eye to eye with somebody. And then the third alternative to dealing with disagreeable people, and this is the mark of a meek person, is you respond in love. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with meekness, gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. 
So meekness is a massive qualification for spiritual leadership. If you're going to be a leader, there has to be meekness in your life. Let me give you another area, the fourth area. It's when someone serves you, when someone disappoints you, disagrees with you. Fourthly, when someone corrects you. Will you, just because you're meek, will you need correction? Absolutely. Every single person alive needs correction. But when you're corrected, be teachable, not unreachable. Meek people are eager to learn. Meek people never pretend to know it all. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. If you do those first two, quick to hear, slow to speak, the third's automatic. You'll be slow uh, to anger. But I'll tell you what, if, if you are not quick to hear and if you're fast to speak, the ego gets involved, the result is anger. The alt is anger and will drive people away from Christ. So be teachable not unreachable. Use your ears, not your mouth. Be teachable, not unreachable. So, um, but what happens when there's somebody in your life that sort of irritates you a little bit and they want to teach you something? They, they, have, they have something, you know, you see them coming, you know they're going to say something. Uh, how are you going to respond uh, to this person? Maybe it's your boss, could be your husband, your wife, could be a child or somebody on the block. And they're, they're coming with something constructive to give to you. How are you going to respond to that? Can I, can I give you one point? Don't get all uptight when you see them coming. Uh, don't consider the source, because that could immediately turn you, turn you off. Don't consider the source. Consider the suggestion. Consider the suggestion. Uh, meek people don't have all the, the answers. I'll tell you, the... the First time you meet a person who thinks they have all the answers, you better run from them. Run from them quick. So let me ask you, are you open or are you closed to new ideas? Are you open or are you closed to change? A meek person is teachable, not unreachable. You know, Will Rogers used to say, I never met met a man I didn't like. Uh, Well, I've met some people I didn't necessarily like, but I'll tell you what, I've never met a person that I can't learn something from. There's not one person in the world alive today that I can't learn something from them. Everybody's ignorant just at different subjects. You can learn from anybody, anybody you can learn something from. All you have to do is to learn to ask the right questions. That's why Proverbs 25 says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. But it's a man of understanding. It's a man of intelligence who draws it out. That's up to you. That's up to you to draw it out. So the secret of intelligence really is learning to ask the right questions. And you think about it, computers, computers are sort of stupid, really. I mean, all they do is spew out answers but it takes intelligence to ask the right questions. That's why it's people who run computers, because they're the ones who ask the questions. Computers just regurgitate. That's that's all they do. But people can be intelligent if they learn to ask the right questions. So parents, let me ask you, do you learn that from your kids, from your in-laws, even from your enemies? You know what? Your biggest critics can oftentimes be your greatest help. 
Now, maybe not intentionally on their part, but your greatest critics can actually be your greatest help. They might mean it to hurt you, but I'll tell you what, God can use that criticism to teach you, to teach you. If you're responding correctly, if ego gets in there, anger, it'll turn it all off. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored, honored. So what about the last one when somebody hurts you? What do you do? Um, Are you going to be hurt by somebody? Every single one of us will be hurt by somebody, everybody. Maybe it's already happened today to you, yesterday. It will this next week. What do you do when someone hurts you? How does meekness respond? Be an actor, not a reactor. In other words, you take the initiative. Romans 12 says, repay no one evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. That's being an actor, not a reactor. You overcome evil with good. That's meekness. You will be hurt in life. And Unfortunately, you will hurt other people in life, whether it be intentionally or unintentionally. But meekness always will ask, how will you respond? How will you respond? Are you going to retaliate? That's to react. Or are you going to be an actor? One of my favorite examples of this is, um, so my, my dad's family all grew up in southern Alabama. Uh, all along Highway 80. There's Coffeyville, which is just south of Highway 80. My great-grandfather had slaves. My grandfather, the, the, the shacks were still there. Of course, gone long ago when I was a little kid. They were long gone, but the remnants were still there. Uh, so Coffeyville, Demopolis, Alabama, Demopolis, Alabama, Selma. Ever hear of the marches in Selma? From Selma to Montgomery, Montgomery. The next town over on Highway 80, Tuskegee. Does that town ring a bell? Tuskegee Institute. One of the men who probably has had some of the most profound impact on my life, uh, Abraham Lincoln, the way he could lead, the way he could use people who are very different, and Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington, uh, incredible guy. He was born to uh, an African-American woman who was a slave up in Virginia. His father was a, a white man. Uh, end up in in Alabama, a brilliant scientist. But Booker T. Washington said this. I love it. He says, I am never going to allow another man to control or ruin my life by making me hate him. That's meekness. I'm never going to allow another man to control or ruin my life by making me hate. So whenever you say or feel, you know, you make me so mad. You know, if you're feeling that, you make me so mad. What you're acknowledging there is that that person has control over your life. You've now given up control to the person who has made you mad. They have control over your life. They have control over your emotions. And that's reacting rather than acting. Meekness says, look, let it go. One of the, remember I had mentioned one of the people who was the meekest man on earth, Numbers, do you remember what was his name? The meekest man on all of earth, earth, what was his name? 
Starts with an M, Moses, okay. So Moses chapter in chapter 12, I'll give you an example of it. Moses chapter 12, uh, he was being very much opposed. He was being opposed by his own brother and sister. He was being opposed uh, because Moses had married a black woman. He had married a Cushite. And Miriam was blowing a gasket over this. And so Moses said nothing. He refused to react. And he let God take care of this. And so God says, hey, Miriam, you like white skin? Okay, I'll give you white skin. And she comes down, of course, with leprosy. And uh, so, and it was Moses who had to pray for her to be healed. So God let her go the seven days of purification and then healed her. God says, you be an actor, not a reactor when people hurt you. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, whether that's Booker T. Washington, whether it's David with Shammai cursing and throwing rocks, um, whether it be Miriam, he who rules his spirit, then he who takes his city. So the biblical definition of meekness, it is just like that white stallion, power under control and submission to an authority greater than self. So your reactions or your emotions are going to be controlled either. Two things will control your, um, your emotions. Either circumstances or your character. Those are the two things that will control what you do. Circumstances or your character. So happiness truly is a choice here. So what are the results of meekness? Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. And Jesus here is referring obviously to his kingdom, an earthly dwelling, a dwelling place for the meek. And that is for those who are submissive uh, to God. And this, the whole Bible points to this point, Jesus and his kingdom. The, those who admit their sinfulness, accept God's forgiveness, the kingdom ultimately belongs not to power seekers, but to these who have turned to Christ. They ultimately will be the ones who inherit the earth. Uh, it's not, it's not going to be the Hitlers and the Napoleons and the Mussolinis and the Toyos or the Bin Ladens or the Castros. Uh, God is not on the side with the biggest guns. But they think they might possess the earth, but the truth is the earth really possesses them. And they are at best very lonely and very miserable people. So Assyria, Babylonia, Rome, Japan, Germany, Soviet Union, United States might seem to be invincible on a given Tuesday, but if we judge them by eternity, we will discover that the arrogant and the proud will not inherit the earth. So if we were to buy Nietzsche's philosophy, if we would be on the side of a Leo de Rocha, we would say that if lions really were king of the forests, then lambs wouldn't be buying anymore. Or if we were betting people, we would certainly place our bets on the eagle and not on the sparrow. 
And if I were an investor, I would buy calls on the whales and I would purchase puts on the sardines. But isn't it interesting that it's the lions and the eagles and the whales that are our endangered species? But there are plenty of lambs, plenty of sparrows, and plenty of sardines. And the truth of the matter is the arrogant, the power brokers, and the assertive don't inherit the earth. But it's those who are meek and gentle and gracious and kind. They are the ones who will happily enjoy it. You might be saying, well, Jeff, you just don't know me. Let me just tell you, because this whole message leaves me totally out because I can't control it. I can't control it. Well, that's right, you can't. But I know somebody who can help you. Let me read this out of Second Timothy 1. This is what God can give you. He gives to us. For God gave us a spirit, not a fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-control. See, when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit comes within and changes you into a brand new person, did you notice the three results in this verse? Power, love, and self-control. Only the Holy Spirit can break through and do those things in your life. That is how we have just defined meekness. It's power controlled by love. Well, let's all stand up. I'm going to pray, and then Pastor Doug's going to come up for just a second and uh, give us a couple of announcements. Jesus, we need your power in our lives. We need your love. We need your self-control. Lord, I ask that you would put your Holy Spirit within us. And Lord, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, that we would be filled to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. We would allow you to empower us and control us. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, I just, I beg you to ask him, invite him in now. Even if you don't understand it all, that's okay. You could just say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Thank you for dying for me. Please come into my life. Make me into the person that you want me to be, a new person. Help me, Lord, to be meek, to have this power under control, just to be understanding and not demanding when others serve me, to be gentle and not judgmental when others disappoint me, to be tender without surrender when people disagree with me, to be teachable, not unreachable when others correct me, to be an actor and not a reactor, when I get hurt. And I, I pray that I would just exemplify uh, just that phrase from Booker T. Washington that will never allow another person to control us or ruin our lives by making us hate them. Help us to be meek and gentle. This can only happen by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's Word. For additional teaching, resources, 
podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.